Captain Benjamin Maxwell of the USS Phoenix walks into his office. Captain's log. I hate Cardassians. I'm so, so racist. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage. <laughs> A podcast with four Gen X hosts as we re-examine and re-experience our love of Star Trek The Next Generation. We're watching it again after first falling in love with it in our pre-teen or teen years. Or for Jimmy, I think he might have been around 23. I get it all mixed up. Um, we are here and ready to talk about The Wounded, Season 4, Episode 12. Uh, let me talk first to each of our wonderful uh, Cultural Bridge officers who join me on this podcast. We have Greg Tito. How are you? Doing good. Very excited. I remembered this episode so much more than uh, some of the other ones that we've talked about. Like I was finishing lines and, and remembering it. So I, I can't wait to talk about it all with you. Well, that's exciting. I can't wait for it either. So let's move forward with Jimmy Galaitas. How are you doing, Jimmy G? I'm doing very well, thank you. I also am excited to talk about this intro to the Cardassians. Fun, fun episode. Oh, I know you like the new sci-fi when it pops up. And Kate Yeager, how are you? I'm good. I did not remember this episode, so I was on tenterhooks the entire time. It was very exciting Ooh. for me. What do tenterhooks feel like? I've always wondered. Uh, you know, I would imagine the same way if a raven were to find purchase on your shoulder. Uh, I feel Ooh. like it feels like that maybe a little bit. Nevermore. I like that. That's <laughs> that's where you were. It's canon. All right. <laughs> so, as I say, it was the 28th of January, 1991. Greg, what was happening in the rest of the world at this point? It was a bit of a break. We had the first episode of 1991 on January 7th. This one came three weeks afterwards, and a lot happened in the world. On January 15th was the United Nations deadline for Saddam Hussein to withdraw his Iraqi forces from Kuwait. He did not, and uh, everything you know, was fine. We're like, all right, that's cool. No, uh, on January 17th, Operation Desert Storm began. Uh, and that was all about an air campaign with several um, uh, missiles and uh, 2,000 sorties per day happening, which is a lot of missions, right? Right, Jimmy? I think that's, that's a right. lot of missions. Yeah. Tons of missions. They were doing so many things, uh, bombing. And then uh, I learned a little bit about this. Saddam was trying to provoke a ground assault early on rather than have a prolonged air campaign. So he was sending Scud missiles against Israel uh, and eventually launched a uh, ground offensive um, to a Saudi Arabian city. Um, the Battle of Karfi. Uh, occurred on January 29th. Uh, Iraqi forces took us a bit by surprise to the coalition forces and uh, ended up grabbing this uh, coastal city, uh, but then was eventually took back by the coalition forces only two days later. Many tried to claim victory. The Iraqis tried to use it as a, a propaganda, saying like, oh yeah, we took you know some uh, the, the Arabian land back from um, the evil Americans. Saudi Arabians claimed it as a victory because they were able to repel the Iraqi uh, invaders so quickly. Um, and then it, it uh, eventually uh, led to not much more ground attacks until February uh, of 1991. We'll get to that. Um, this was also the period of time right when this episode was airing when uh, Iraqi forces were lighting uh, the oil fields uh, uh, in Kuwait as they 
were withdrawing. I remember so many of those images are the things that are held in our brains from uh, those those burning oil wells uh, going on. And that was happening right now as this was happening. Uh, so uh, on to a little bit more of lighter news. I remember this. It was Super Bowl 25 on January 27th, the day before this aired. Uh, it was in Tampa. The New York Giants defeated the Buffalo Bills 20 to 19. I remember this as being a very competitive Super Bowl down to the last second, I believe, with a field goal to win it, if I remember correctly. Uh, I also was, uh, you know, having a Super Bowl party, I believe, uh, with many friends that I did not really hang out with very much. It was like a it was a it was a new thing for me as a middle schooler. And uh, we ended up not watching the game at all. And actually, it, there was snow on the ground and I was sledding. And I remember almost getting like frostbite uh, while hanging out in the nighttime uh, as young teenage kids were wont to do. I always do. forget that Boomer has a damn ring. That's so fascinating to me. <laughs> totally. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that was what was going on. Well, that sounds like a hell of a couple of weeks. How, what was, was it mirrored by all the stuff happening in pop culture land, Kate? Oh, so much in pop culture land. We missed uh, Love Will Never Do Without You by Janet Jackson. Uh, but the number one song this week was one, another song that I had no concept of called The First Time by Surface. <gasps> the, the first time, time by... I looked into your eyes, I cried. Yes! Do you remember the first time oh, we you... fell? <laughs> it's just going to keep going. Right? This is the new podcast. That's amazing that you remember that. That's incredible. I remember Surface, sure. Wow. <laughs> Uh, number one movie, again, Home Alone. It just can't be beat. But on January 31st, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Judge Me As You Will, Point Break, the original, was oh, released. Look, yeah. is it a good film or not? I'm not sure. I just know it's one of my favorites. I just remember uh, Anthony Kiedis getting game. shot in the foot. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and for sure. all the tweakers there, yeah. Um, on love, television... Love. Speaking of the Super Bowl, uh, that was the Super Bowl that Whitney Houston delivered her now iconic rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. And also the halftime show with the new kids on the block was shown on tape delay after the game because at halftime they had a news report about the Gulf War that happened. Uh. So uh, me as a young new kids on the block fan would have been crushed, I am sure. <laughs> and that's what was happening in pop culture well that was also an amazing several weeks not just for surface um <laughs> jimmy as we dive into this episode the wounded can you tell me a little bit about what was going on and we have a teleplay by jerry taylor story by Stuart charno sarah charno and cy chermack and it was of course directed by our friend chip chalmers take it yeah, away chip chalmers uh, yeah, so the Cardassian ship we see, the Traeger, this was designed by Rick Stenbach, and uh, he uh, modeled it after an Ankh. At one point, it had uh, mm. legs oh. on it and appendages, so it was very scorpion-like. They decided to take that away, and then you uh, saw the ship uh, um, as it was in the episode. We get to see the Phoenix. Uh, this is the ship that the other captain was uh, piloting as he attacked the Cardassians. Um, the last time we saw the Phoenix was in um, Future Imperfect. And then if you were to uh, freeze frame 
the scene where we see Maxwell in his ready room, there was a map in the background. Um, and if you looked at that closely, you would have seen where the Cardassians are in relation to the Federation. They are to the west, just opposite of where the Klingons and the Romulans uh, reside. So as we say in uh, Seattle, west side, best side. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got for the Nemesis Files. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you say that in West Seattle uh, rather than in Seattle proper. But That's right. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll get to the guest stars. We have many of them, and we have a special guest to the podcast that we will get to at the end after he has to sit and listen, listen to me say how awesome he is. But we'll start with Mark Alimo as Gull Masset. I hope I'm saying his name right. Best known as Gull Dukat on Deep Space Nine, and lots of other stuff. Voice work on Call of Juarez, Santa Fe Mystery Video Games, four characters on Next Gen. So we've already discussed him at length in Season 1, Episode The Neutral Zone, so we're skipping to the great Bob Gunton, maybe best known for Shawshank Redemption. He is a theater dance hoofer from back in the day, among other roles, the Dream Ballet Curly from Oklahoma. He was the original Broadway Juan Perón in Evita. He was no the king in Big River. He was a replacement Salieri and Sweeney Todd in the original oh. productions. Damn. He played Egon the Ghost Farmer in Ghostbusters The Afterlife. He is still working. Argo, Dead Silence, I Heart Huckabee's The Perfect Storm, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, Broken Arrow, Dolores Claiborne, Demolition Man, Jennifer Eight, Born on the Fourth of July, The Pickup Artist, and Finnegan Begitigan as one of his early ones, which I will always say as often as possible. We move on to another great Marco Rodriguez as Glenn Telly. Uh, he's a USC guy, trained with Jose Quintero, big theater deal, played El Pachuco in Zoom Suit at the Mark Taper Forum in LA in the original production, founder of the East Los Angeles Classic Theater and a number of other stage companies dedicated to serving at-risk populations in LA. In film, he did and uh, TV Cry Macho just a couple years ago, the uh, Eastwood joint, Veronica Mars, Velvet Buzzsaw, we'll get back to that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Inhumans TV show, Castle, The Muppets, American Horror Story, True Detective, Nightcrawler, Desperate Housewives, Eastbound and Down, Prison Break, Predator, and Area 51 video games, Toolbox Murders, House of Sand and Fog, NYPD Blue, Sliders, Seinfeld, ER, The Burning Season with the Great Raul Julia, Briscoe County Jr., Jake and the Fat Man, The Rookie, that's two Raul Julia movies for anyone counting, Hunter, hold that thought, Disorderlies, Cagney and Lacey, The Zoot Suit Film, Hell Yeah, What a Career, Ongoing. And we've seen him before. He was in uh, uh, TNG. He's the uh, the um, uh, Arsenal of Freedom uh, person That's who right. is uh, trying to. And I, I recognized him from the eyes. I was very excited to be like, is that the guy? And then actually getting proved correct. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember him. Mostly because I've seen Star Trek Acid Party so many times and he figures so prominently in there. <laughs> and now we get to the great time winters as Glenn Darrow. You'll know his voice recently for Love, Death, and Robots and the Midnight Suns video game, Resident Evil Resistance. You've seen him in Dollface, This Is Us, Legion, loved it. Plus one, Velvet Buzzsaw, that's two in one episode. Vice, Fallout 4, Metal Gear Solid 5, Elder Scrolls 5, The Runaways, Big Love, Ghost Whisperer, Carnival, hell yeah, that guy's so creepy. World goddamn done time. ER, Charm Scrubs, Buddy, uh, Providence, 
Uh, sorry, Buffy, not Buddy. Thanks, computer. <laughs> uh, Providence, Chicago, Hope, Malcolm and Eddie, Kansas City shout out. Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, by the time this airs, alternate universe. God damn it, Kansas City Chiefs lost the Super Bowl. Um, he's in the Star Wars universe, played Bach in Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. He's in Thinner, Babylon 5, Murder, She Wrote, Time You've Shown Up So Many Times During My COVID Binges, Man, Steal Big, Steal Little, Murder in the First, Dream On, Melrose Place, Full House, Sneakers, and we finally get to 1991 when you did this episode of TNG, as well as Three MacGyvers, Doc Hollywood, in which you are hilarious, by the way, Defending Your Life and L.A. Story, Keep going through Hunter, Gremlins 2, Mr. Belvedere, Columbo, Cheers, beginning with a William Tell TV series in 1988, a great run so far. On stage, I remember hearing about Henry uh, at the uh, Shakespeare Center LA, where you were also, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Malvolio. Uh, you've done about 200 other plays. You were Doolittle in Pygmalion at Pasadena, and you are busy as hell. I had the pleasure of playing Krupke to your doc in yes. West Side Story in L.A. a few years ago. And yeah. I just am pleased as punch that you're here. Howdy, Time Winters. Yay. Thank you. That's, wow, I feel I've died. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> so encouraging, I can't tell you. Well, you're still busy as hell, which is awesome. I, I'm I'm so happy uh, with everything. I am that's in going hell. You're you. quite right about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just contending against you in Midnight Suns, like last night, I believe. I didn't realize. Were you? Yeah, I didn't realize you were you were Doctor Faustus. I have to say, Doctor Faustus is not a very good arch villain. You know, it's just like <laughs> he's there to be taken down. I fear, but you know. But he hams it up, uh, or you ham it up very well. So yes, good, yes, good job. I did. And what a villain. Well, time, usually we begin with uh, asking our guests uh, kind of what, what your background with Star Trek is. Okay, we're different generations. I was definitely an original uh, Star Trek guy. This is a secret I haven't told anyone, but my friend Ooh. Skip and I, who Skip was a couple years older than me, Skip Collins, we used to play pretend Star Trek. You know, oh, uh, cool. it wasn't even that popular a show. You know, it was on every Thursday <laughs> night, I think. And um, he would be Kirk because he was kind of better looking and I would be the outsider <laughs> Spock, you know. And we even wrote a script uh, that we were going to submit to the show. Um, of course, oh, it was amazing. written on lined uh, notebook paper. <laughs> but, you know, it was a beginning. I, we're... Skipping ahead, when I was in college, uh, Skip uh, died in a car accident. Oh, Boy, that's oh, a downer. Why is he no. even bringing this up? But when I auditioned for the job and uh, they immediately rushed me over to have a head cast done for the prosthetics, as I was walking over to the makeup department, I was, you know, it's like, hey, Skip, I made it. I made it. And, it, and when I finally beamed up, <laughs> yeah. it was the coolest thing. You know, it's like it's like we all knew, you know, they shoot, they cut, and then we walk in and, you know, it's like, <laughs> wow, I am on the Enterprise. So anyway, this is this is for Skip. Oh, that is so cool time for Skip. He's a good guy. Hell yeah. Yeah, um, he, when we played uh, 
comic books, he was also Superman. And I think I was, I didn't like Lex Luthor, so more of the Joker or something. Even though, you know, it didn't matter. <laughs> you were the okay, character actor, time. even back then. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We never escape it. I, let's dive into the episode, shall we, everybody? All right. To start off, we have peace with the Cardassians, we hear. is very young. It's fragile. We're doing some mapping as uh, we're near the Cardassian border, and the people are pretty spooked. And then when Picard was with the Stargazer, he's telling us, he was trying to show his good intentions to the uh, Cardassian ships he was meeting. Uh, what do y'all think for that, that quick little intro to the episode's pr- uh, supposed big bad to start with? Yeah, I thought it was a bit lighthearted. The way Picard told the story was he was almost bemused about uh, mm-hmm. what was happening. It, it didn't seem threatening or, you know, I almost died. And then, like you said, <laughs> Troy's reaction of like, that doesn't sound like you, Captain, running away from a fight. And uh, he's like, well, I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, it, it didn't have like the gravity. And I think maybe it's because they were trying to juxtapose to what we're about, what was about to happen. Um, so it was like, play it a little light. We don't need to get heavy too soon or something. Because it was just, it was odd uh, that it was a little lighthearted. It reminded me almost a little bit of like, like the the way World War II movies try to show comedy, right? Of being like, oh, you know, it was, those were the days kind of way of, uh, of portraying Starfleet as that old school Navy a little bit harder. And I think it worked in that way of being like, yeah, you know, we... We, we we do like to chum it up a little bit, but, you know, there's 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 gravitas here. And I think that gets to, as you're saying, Jimmy, as it gets farther along, you re- kind of realize it. But I think they needed to start it with this feeling of of where many of us were in the 80s of like, you know, there was good fights, right? Oh, yeah. No, I think you're right. And that I'd like to put a pin in that because that, I think it ends on a note that I was like, oh, I wonder if they would write it that way today. Hmm. I agree. I think I think this episode in particular has a very uh, allied looking back on World War II kind of feel to it with with some self-questioning, which is not what was happening a lot in the 80s into the 90s either. So that 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 portion of it is super appreciated on on, uh, my account anyway. Um, So we move off to see the newlyweds having breakfast and O'Brien ain't too keen on salty kelp. In the morning. So he's asking very clearly for his corned beef and eggs. And everything he's saying has Keiko just kind of unsure. Uh, For the married folk here, and I believe that is now all of us, uh, does this ring true? This particular (laughs) early in the cohabiting breakfast uh, conversation. I just kept thinking they're really yucking each other's yums here. You know, like there's just a lot (laughs) of, uh, and you know, like questionable yucking of the yums when it's a cultural difference too, where it's like, Oh, your food is gross. Um, but you'd think some of this would have come up in the whirlwind (laughs) romance that they had, but apparently, um, they only ate, uh, Soylent Green or something, um, during (laughs) their previous dates, because this is all new territory for them. Well, they never would have had breakfast together. That would have been a sin. It's true. 
<laughs> oh, Jimmy. Definitely had that feel of like, all right, now we're married. We can we can now share everything together uh, type of thing that I, yeah, I think is a little, doesn't really ring true of, of today's cultures for sure. But it was fun. It was playful banter. Like, oh, they're cute. Oh, so totally. Cute. And it goes right into the sci-fi elements of his mom actually touched, you know, the, the flesh of cows and used, you know, knives and all these right. other really... Which uh, I loved, actually. That was a little bit there. It's like when she was genuinely, uh, you know, surprised and kind of intrigued and impressed that his mom cooked food. Uh, and that's those little details that make Star Trek amazing. Like, oh, yeah, you know, nobody cooks food anymore. They're, they've lost that ability. They just talk to their machines to do everything. Uh, that was a lot of fun to hear that bit. Well, I spent um, weekends and holidays and summers at, at, you know, my grandparents' farm when I was growing up uh, around the cattle. And, you know, it has a similar feel to talking to people who've only known City. Uh, kind of a, about growing up in a situation like that and eating animals you've named and, <laughs> you know, the the various cultural differences present in a conversation like that. Uh, very similar. It was enjoyable. It reminds me uh, when we first moved to Seattle from New York City and we were hiking on uh, um, Lopez Island and Lisa started eating raspberries off of the bush and I was genuinely shocked that she was taking... <laughs> food from the wild and putting it in her mouth and i was like honey you can't do that you gotta wash you it first know where that's been and she looked at me like i was the stupidest man on earth she's like it's been here <laughs> this is where i was from and in my mind if it wasn't in a driscoll box there's no way it was safe to consume a raccoon peed on it how do you not right. know you'd be dead if not for lisa <laughs> <I know. laughs> I just hope you're aware of that. <laughs> but now I've been countrified. I like oh. how the scene ends too with Keiko being like, uh, oh, I might have a surprise for you tonight too. Of the whole like right? newlywed, so... uh, you know, shenanigans. She's and, and... so randy. <laughs> yeah, she gets us right back on track. It's a single entendre, if I am correct. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why the alarm sounds. It just gets too hot in there. They have to write in a Cardassian getting angry and firing upon. So we got to go to work. We are being fired upon. We go to the bridge. We're losing our shields. And then we see a new warship the Cardassians. We've been talking all about them, and now we get Yay. to meet them. Time applauds. Everyone is so happy. We are introduced to Gold Masset and his little beard tusks. Yes. We have met a Cardassian. What do we think? Way better uh, and more threatening race than the Ferengi. So <laughs> it was very promising. Like, okay, now we might have some. Some nice, uh, some good, some good baddies, some ones that you can really believe are uh, a threat. So that's yeah. exactly what when I talked to Stu Charno, he said that the Ferengi weren't a threat, mm -hmm. so they had to come up with something that was more uh, Klingon, <laughs> Romulan, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and right away it is like Jimmy says, more of a threat. There's a there's a quick wit. 
in in the eyes and there's a stillness in the body and there's such movement in in the voice like it's it, it is all the way through uh i must be taken seriously and i will see any flaws coming at me and it's but it's, but uh, what i love is that nice they're different they're different than the Klingons, the romulans who have that kind of their own shtick the cardassians felt yep. uh threatening but it didn't have any type of the baggage that the Romulans and Vulcans had. It didn't have any of the understanding that the that the Klingons are about honor and things like that, right? Even you know, Worf kind of sets that up with his line uh, that they're outside that kind of warrior race, and it's it's just we 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 show our strength in war. How are you going to respond to that? Um, but what I love to hear from you, time, is how that prosthetics felt. Like, what was that like? Getting all of that on and off. <laughs> I loved it. It was. It was the standard five-hour application time and a couple hours taking it off right? Uh, b- because it was the first time. And the reason we were uh, not moving very much, our suits were made of leather, mm. <laughs> and we couldn't move and talk at the same time. Because of the sound. Yeah, because it would squeak. And so <laughs> if you'll notice, uh, when I'm talking to uh, O'Brien a little later on, I could speak and then move, but not both together. This is brilliant. I love the costume, by the way, of how yes. sharp it was. Like even on the sides of the pants, it was pleated, so it had a a sharp, uh, almost like it would cut you. Like, um, and it didn't look costumey; it looked practical. And I was wondering, uh, like, did you were you able to go to the bathroom in that? Um, which I would yeah, have wondered not... otherwise, but knowing you were coming on, I was like, man, I wonder if Tom was able to go pee if he had to. Well, the scene you guys were just talking about, we're in the background um, behind Mark, and we have these helmets on, which are never shown again. Yeah, right. That, uh, yeah, yeah, cover yeah. our nose yeah. and up yeah. through the middle, which covers that lump, that hole. So uh, we were talking about it it has to be a sexual organ of some kind you know <laughs> but but after that uh canon. i think it's only it's canon. in that scene they they disappeared the helmets so because it wasn't protecting anything no. <laughs> i did like that that spoon feature yes. right was that talked about at all because i think in some some notes i read that that, that was inspired the, the designer was inspired by an impressionist painting he saw of a woman with oh. a spoon in her forehead Oh, and then that's wow. why that, that feature <laughs> wow. ended up being there. And I was like, that's weird. But why is it there? Maybe it is a sexual organ. <laughs> I was actually thinking that the, the helmet was of use in their particular martial arts, which lead with headbutts. Uh, <laughs> but like directly on the bridge of the nose there, like you got to have some protection uh, or, or you're going to be out real quick. The person who in the cast who says the name of the race first they ha- go with that pronunciation. Mm. And Patrick, <laughs> he really wanted to say Kardashians as opposed Kardashian. Mm, you know, he wanted right. to go with the Dashian. Uh, but I think the first guy who said it was um, uh, uh, Jonathan Franks. Mm. Oh. So, so it's Kardashian, <laughs> but, you know. 
Wow. Interesting. Damn it. It's, I it's like a very Kardashian. scientific way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was prescient you, about you the Kardashians. Feel, uh, in the first read-through of a Shakespeare play, too, because there are a couple exactly, of names that, yeah. that could go either way. <laughs> we move to the ready room where Admiral Hayden, who we have met before, welcome back, sir. You give us a feeling of being taken care of. He tells Picard it's the USS Phoenix. The uh, United Starship captained by Benjamin Maxwell, who we know is famous because Picard goes, Ben Maxwell. Uh, that's always that's always how you have to respond when, when it's a fellow captain or higher. Uh, after the losses to the Borg at Wolf 359, we just can't go through this again. Maxwell isn't responding and Cardassians have ordered safe passage for the Enterprise to chase down the Phoenix and find out WTF, man. All right. How how is this as your prototypical exposition scene? We're we're in favor of it. I loved it because it felt very um, uh, uh, heart of darkness, um, right? Like like, <laughs> like there was there yeah. was a rogue captain on his yeah. way in enemy territory. How is how 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 are we gonna uh, save this this whole situation? It felt very much like what was on our minds uh, in in reinvestigating the Vietnam War during during the eighties. Yeah, I love the fact that the the journey isn't, did this ship do what we think it did or did it not? The journey is, oh, yes, the ship did do what we think it does. Now what are we going to do about it? And that very pointedly, uh, the, the last line is basically advi- that advising that they have to avoid war no matter what the cost. You know, very pointedly giving us the stakes of this uh, piece. I, I just, it elevates it right away um directly after the opening credits which is a nice a nice change yeah and this is around the time of uh hunt for october too right so like this yeah, is totally very much in in keeping with the the ideas of people going rogue in unexpected ways go yeah, ahead i was Jenny. trying to look it up in uh nemesis thing i i think that's where i read it but the um the admiral that we see we like you said, Eric. We've seen him before, uh, and he's always he's the admiral they go to when it's like, "Hey, John Luke, we need you to do something. We can't have anyone else to do." And I don't mm. know if it was like chasing down the Borg or there was another one, but every time he pops up, it's like, "Uh oh, we're into some shit now. You you got to go <laughs> deal with some stuff that right. um, we don't want anyone to know about." Um, and it's like the case again. So I loved it. Diplomacy that might get yeah, might get a little ugly. Picard uh, asks whose service records say that they have worked with Captain Maxwell before, and Data tells us it is Chief O'Brien. That's why we saw him earlier. It makes sense now. We're not just showing up because he was married the last episode. Picard sends Troy and Riker to meet the Cardassians. See? And please tell O'Brien I'll be calling on him. Boom. Now. Now we have the entrance. In the flesh, on the transporter pads, O'Brien transports the three Cardassians over, and Gil Massette introduces Glenn Tella, who we don't care about, and Glenn Darrow, who joins us right here. Time, what it feel like to see yourself finally beaming in, like from your television set. You had the VCR (laughs) set, you're ready. I don't think I had a VCR. (laughs) 
But, oh, yeah, no, I still remember it being on set. It was just incredible. You know, it was like, I'm on the Enterprise. What a concept. And you mentioned that's how they do it. They they film you not there, and then they film you there. I thought transporters, right. you just got transported in. I didn't realize that they had to do that twice like that. Yeah, well, it was broken that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were excited, too. We finally get to see kind of up close without the, uh, the buffer uh, of the... Uh, display we have our first look close up at three still helmeted briefly Cardassians. jimmy you're excited to see these oh, new yeah. aliens yeah they were fun um i loved the look the the brown leather and it's different than what they sort of dress the Cardassians in later and i i think this look is actually better than what they kind of settled on with that grayish tone that they kind of gave them later on. Uh, so it was a nice intro to these guys because they looked fierce uh, and there was something a little intimidating about just the way they were standing there. And uh, when you guys beamed in time, I wonder if you can remember back then, all three of you, as you beam in, you kind of look around up, upwards, uh, mm -hmm. like you're like trying to get your bearings right away. And I was, I wonder if that was... Since you all do it, did the director ask you to do it? Or did the actors decide, hey, we want to uh, try to take it in as soon as we see this new scene? That was what was really cool. Yeah, Chip Chalmers was great. He he obviously lived in the world really well. There are a couple things he did on this episode. But I believe that was one of them where he said, yeah, look around because you've never been here before. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, we've heard about the Enterprise, but we've never actually been on it. Right. No Cardassian ever has. So. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. That, but it, that's a great touch. Yeah. And I don't know if they, they meant to do it too, but it ties into what one of the one of your your uh, Cardassian what uh, does, comrades yeah. had. He he inquires about later. And time we'll talk about that. I think when we get to ten forward. But I, I think that's a key part of your character in particular. It's it's clear that you are very interested in the cultural aspects and the right. historical aspects of the Federation. And I, I, I want to talk a lot about, you know, how, how you kind of created this character. But for this moment, since we're just meeting the race, I want to talk about any memories you have or insights you have into the creation of these living Cardassians. Like, what, what did you talk about uh, wanting them to exhibit as characters as a whole versus individually? Do you know, did, did you have these conversations? We didn't, no, no. Uh, <laughs> they said that uh, they were looking for tall, skinny guys, which uh, was me at the time. Um, but other than that, no, there was no real discussion. But the script is really interesting too. And yeah, I immediately sort of glommed onto the idea that I'm into, uh, history, the history yeah. of this whole thing, and that I'm not really a fighter the way Mark's character is, you know? Right. The other two guys are being very martial, and I'm kind of intrigued. When I got to L.A. from New York, uh, my agent said, so what kind of shows do you want to be on? And I said, well, Star Trek, Next Generation. It started... <laughs> In what? 87. 87. 87. So I was in New York then. And then I never heard from my agent, you know, on that. I, I did a lot of work in between there. But 
Then I was doing a show up at the John Anson Ford. It was opening night and we were having tech all days. My agent calls and says, if you can be at Paramount at three o'clock, they'll see you for next generation. And it's like, well, I'm working until five. If you can, it's on the other side of Hollywood. You're right. It, it, just at five, you know, I, I have a dinner break from five to six. Just uh, if they can postpone <laughs> it, I will I will fight traffic and go over there. That's amazing. No, I, that is amazing. And did you get there? I did get there, and Ron Sermon was really cool. He took me in, and uh, I read it that I had been reviewing in tech all afternoon. And uh, he said, okay, we're going to bring you back tomorrow. And it's like, oh, cool. Oh, and yeah. tomorrow was f fine because we're open as of tonight. Right. And uh -huh. I had right. the whole day free tomorrow. Well, you know what That's I love so about cool. that too, Time, is they didn't give you, you know, like in my imagination before you came on today, new races introduced into Star Trek, there's almost like a class you're given. So like <laughs> to try to get you ready for it. But it's brilliant that they're they're more like, no, we just need tall, skinny guys. We wrote the script. It's up to them to embody right. these characters, which they like yeah. it's, it's your trust. take on your character and how you play that delicacy of it. You help develop the Cardassians. <laughs> like I know. You well, directly have a hand in that. Yeah. They do that. They do that on the show. I heard that uh, Spock didn't say fascinating and logical until like about halfway through the first season. Mm -hmm. He was still developing. Mm -hmm. And we were totally in development at that point. I, yeah. And the way Cardassians were later on really surprised me because it wasn't what I came up with in my head at all. Well, it's canon here. I love how how like this, you know, like the script was the only thing you had to go on. Like that's that's so yeah, yeah. interesting as an actor too, because you're like, all right, I can I can interpolate things off of that, um, but not having, you know, you're right, Jimmy. I had the same thought where like if the, oh yeah, there was a new in concept introduced in Star Trek, there's a whole, you know, oh yeah, this right. is it. This is you know, this is the Bible on Cardassians, and there was no Bible. The Bible was just the text. Yeah. <laughs> That's or, or it wasn't shared with the actors, which is often what happens <laughs> as well. When I went for the callback, we had been given stuff of about, you know, we're a martial race and that, you know. So I got there and there were about 50 guys waiting there. And we were all dressed exactly the same. We were wearing black and very martial epaulets and boots and everything, you know. <laughs> and... It's very intimidating because some of these guys looked like they could really take me out instantly. So I was sitting there thinking, well, as an actor, huh, I'm on the Enterprise for the first time and we have fought against them. So there was this idea that started forming. I, I, I was thinking, oh, this is that horrible warship, the Enterprise, mm -hmm. where that that famous uh, pirate, James Tiberius Kirk, was <laughs> right. the captain. And, you know, it's kind of fascinating to go into Hitler's lair. That's for you, Eric. Uh, you know, just to... <laughs> oh, man. So I was sitting there, and I was no longer uh, intimidated by anyone mm. because I hate these people. I despise them, but I want to find out about them. So... By the time I walked into the room and there were about 20 people sitting across the end of the room, um, I just wanted to be someplace else. 
And I was so surly. I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to be there. And um, it worked because as I was leaving, Ron Sir, I got to the end of the hall and Ron Surma came running out and running after me, which is a nice feeling yeah. when the casting director does yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, said, uh, Time, can you come with me? I have to ask you something. And he took me into the Xerox room where there was one chair and a copying machine. And he said, I can't tell you this for certain because we're seeing a lot of people, but this phone is going to ring in a minute and it's going to be your agent. And I want you to take the call. And then he left. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's one of those golden ones. So I was that's surly so enough cool. that they thought I was the guy that they wanted. Yeah. So. That's amazing. It, you know, yeah. And you didn't come across as Surly, though, in the final iteration of your character. Like, I, yeah. Surly was, is not a word I would have used for your character in particular. Like, yeah, I would say Marco. In fact, well, exact civilized. Right, right, civilized, right. Yeah. But I mean, that, well, I want to say that till we get to the to Tin Ford scene. But it, oh, it, yeah. you did right. not come across as Surly. Uh, but I'm glad you were enough that you got the role in the way you did. Exactly. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you do appear, you are introduced to O'Brien. Troy gives a nice, long, lingering look at O'Brien, seemingly troubled. Go ahead, Kate. You I just, noticed that? I just love that moment. I, I absolutely noted it. Um, because there is, you know, that, that moment with O'Brien giving that nod but that could be seen as perfunctory or just, you know, I'm doing my job yeah. or whatever. It's that look that she gives afterwards and the look on her face. I mean, she's quite almost horrified, you know, or, or it, it's that mixture of um, uh, of curiosity mixed with horror, mixed with, you know, it, it's it's quite stunning. It's powerful visual storytelling. A great again, which is what I think the writing developed over the course of these seasons to be better at, right? Like we don't, you know exactly what is going on, but it's all through their their wonderful acting that, you know, he was thinking something violent or thinking something, you know, hateful about these Cardassians that you saw. And you're right, the disgust and horror that, that Troy felt to that. We got all of that through, you know, two looks, three shots. It's, it's beautiful. That is beautiful. I was just doing the math on two looks and three shots, but I was enjoying it. <laughs> Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, I loved it. it and like uh, for all the reasons that Greg said especially that with just a look it, it telegraphs so much and I think it also played off of um, our episode with Troy mm -hmm. where she lost all those abilities and where Riker was like maybe you feel really defeated because for the first time you don't have a leg up on all of us and you know how we're feeling. And when she looked at him that way and then O'Brien quickly like realizes he's being sensed and he like snaps out of it. I was like, oh yeah, that's really invasive. Like you can just know exactly how I'm feeling. I have no privacy. I do think that's one of the alarms I would set up in my own brain if I were an empath, like to let shit through. I'm like malicious racism, let it come right through. I want to know who's feeling it so I can <laughs> counteract it however possible. Sure. Uh, it, and you're right. There was a super interesting performance of it too, because there is that, that little tinge of fear in her. Uh, now time. Do you, did you feel like Darrow, um, clocked O'Brien in this meeting this early? No, I was just, I remember I'm just trying to 
make friends with these barbarians. Right. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Uh, the 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 fact that the cultured Cardassians would think of the differently cultured and sometimes uncultured, uh, especially these Irish. Um, yes, Irish who doesn't right. speak with an accent. It's true, except for when he's singing. <laughs> I complimented Colm on his choice not to be Scotty, you know, yeah. with an Irish right. accent. And he right. said, yeah, they kept putting pressure on him to have an accent, which oh, I thought was interesting. interesting. Huh. Yeah. Anyway. I love that shit. Neither here nor there. Am I going to be sued for this? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Statute of limitations, Not man. By You're Cole safe. We've, we've been saying very nice things about him for years now. Yeah. Jordy explains that the Enterprise can search one sector a day. And then O'Brien takes the floor to tell about Maxwell losing his family to a sabotage operation by the Cardassians on Setlik 3. So this scene is freaking awesome as well. Uh, so, Time, what, what are your kind of uh, impressions looking back on, on this particular shoot? Okay, two things. I got into the lift as if it were an elevator, and Chip came up to me and said, have your back facing the door. Face him. Yeah, yeah. And once once the door closed, all I was doing was staring at Combe. It was a really, and it was like I was breaking the laws of humanity or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone do that to you in an elevator? But it was a great sure. choice to do that. Yeah. And we did it several takes because they were afraid that the audience would count how many floors. Uh. And several oh. times the takes were ruined because there were too many floors going by. So actually, we had to take one of the shots several times because we didn't want anyone writing in about that. Wow. There's too many so decks. Fascinating. And Trekkies are the ones who would do it. Nerds. Yes, they are. <laughs> Bless you. Um, that's so fun. Is this I the noticed kind of it. Stuff even... you're looking for. Yes. <laughs> um, I noticed even before the doors shut that 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 was happening. Like it, it was a really neat choice uh, right away. I'm glad you yeah. had that experience too in the, in the moment. That's great. Yeah. Um, I also love that you have to act so much just based on what uh, Colmini was doing, right? Like you were you were doing a really good job of of uh, listening. That didn't seem like you were just waiting to 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 say the next line or do the next bit. So like what Jimmy was saying, like you didn't come off as surly. I, this was one of those scenes where I'm like, no, you seem like you're actually, you know, wanting to make connections and make friends. Right. Well, yeah, the whole idea is to try and get information from him and right. he doesn't seem forthcoming at all. I have a question about this, the intimidation moment that Colm has where he like kind of steps up to you. Yeah. What was that like? How was that directed? As I recall, that's what Colm mm. did. And it was, it was so great. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't have to act at all. So we cut to potato casserole. Dry, <laughs> crappy, no cheese anywhere. <laughs> the, the least Irish potato casserole I could possibly imagine. Um, I felt so bad for the, having to do that business so many times. And I was thinking of the prop person. It was like, oh, man, they got to reset yeah. the, 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 the potato oh, each time. Potato casseroles. You heat one up while they're using the next one. Well, it's just no excuse to show bad potato casserole. <laughs> uh, so he starts humming the minstrel boy, which immediately brings to mind, again, my Irish merchant marine grandpa, who loved the original series but didn't quite make it to this one. 
um, love that song, love their inclusion of it, and love his little warble as he sings it. He is so Irish, and that's an Irish song about the about the revolution uh, or, or attempted revolution uh, of the Irish against the English, right? One of the many. Seventeen ninety eight is the successful revolution of the early nineteen hundreds, followed by the successful civil war of the mid nineteen hundreds and the less successful troubles of the late nineteen hundreds. And the Irish reunification that's happening in twenty twenty four. But we'll we'll get to that. Well, he, they fucking spoke it. Let's make it happen. All right. So then he talks a bit about the war and his experience in it using blatant transference about still disliking the Karaisians to put that dislike on other crew members instead of himself. I, I, I was reminded of some of the shitty vets that I grew up around that still had bad feelings for the Japanese in the 80s. Yeah. you And you mentioned Hunt for Red October, and I didn't think about it until you did, Eric, but it really does feel like... Alec Baldwin's character here, right? Where, where he, in all those meetings in the early part of that movie, he's the one who has this uh, fascination slash uh, a- admiration of the Russians while the rest of them were all, you know, rah, 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 how are we going to fight this, you know, this this rogue thing? And, and I, I, I had that now in thinking that, like, this is this is the investigation of that. Like, how, when do we start the, the the healing process between two peoples who have been at odds for so long? Uh, we, we had shades of that with Worf at the beginning, but that had clearly been going on for a lot longer than this, you know, less than year old treaty with the Cardassians. So back from commercial, the Enterprise watches as the Cardassians engage the Phoenix on this incredibly expensive uh, computer uh, battle that we observe. Uh, Jimmy, how sci-fi was this for you to watch the red dot fight the green dot? <laughs> it was, it's one of those, it's not as much fun as the language, uh, because it's like, oh, this is a, this is, um, as advanced as we were in 1991, <laughs> like all we could do was put some red dots up there, uh, because we didn't have the, you know, the budget for a Star Trek or a Star Wars fight really right in space. Um, it so, looked like those little handheld computer games of the 80s that yeah, just had like yeah, blinking yeah. lights moving like across football. one yeah, at a time. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was what was happening was surprisingly un Star Trek like because here was a guy who was uh, a Star Trek or, or a Star a Federation officer who was being rogue. So this didn't fit the prototype of a perfect right. society. and no conflict and nothing's going wrong. It's like, this guy is, um, you know, is he going to murder a bunch of people for a guess Again. or a gut feeling? Like Again. it was um, like, this is, this is not normal what's happening in this episode right now. And that was kind of exciting. And I'll argue that the, the low techness of it is, is actually sort of um, compelling. It reminded me yeah. a little bit of in uh I can't remember if it's the original Alien. I think it's Aliens, the second one, where the proximity detector mm, is yeah, all you get yeah. um, to to see how things are. And there's something about that second time they see the light flash out of existence that is yeah. a bit of a gut punch. And there's something, it made me think about drone warfare. It made me think about what happens when we are removed, you know, like can't get to that location in time. Um, right. watching everything in horror sort of as as the only lifeline we have are these little lights. I just thought it was actually really interesting um, and, and a different way to look at it. 
And as a video gamer too, like I love the tactical display, honestly, because I was like, oh yeah, I understand that. Like I understand he's out of he's out of range of the weapons. It's kind of having Data's running narrative over that visual is, as you said, Kate, I think really more powerful than maybe seeing it fully animated with laser beams and all those things that we see in in, in many other scenes in Star Trek and Star Wars and other sci-fi, right? So like you're right, and then they bring it right back with the acting choices of 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 um. Uh, I'm forgetting the actor, uh, El Elamo. Yes, with the uh, with yeah, Mark yeah, Tuskbeard. Yeah, Tuskbeard. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Elamo. Uh, <laughs> who 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 has that? Just like there were this many people aboard. Yeah, you know, this many people, and like that is a fact that ends up resonating through the script. You know, I think in two more scenes. So I thought I thought it was a, I thought it was a really nice con uh, contrast between not seeing it and then feeling the emotional impact of it agree i spend most of my time watching 1960s and 70s television horror films so i i think the low-key and the low-tech <laughs> is the best the problem is like jimmy says we have murdered 700 almost cardassians we've seen it happen we saw it happen in a very calculated way relentless and kind of evil outside the bounds of war using a, a longbow to go after someone who has a dagger it showed Maxwell's like skill as a captain too, right? Like he definitely. We move to ten forward, where O'Brien is drinking his ale, and Glendaro down the bar is having a smaller purplish drink. And, oh, it sucks! Hate it. And then can I sit down next to you? It really seems like a a really great idea, but Glenn is ready for it and open to it. The time. What do you want to say about like your experience? Uh, filming this, like, well, what what are the memories that jump out? Well, it, it was wonderful working with Comb. Yeah, uh, Chip shot it only one way. He didn't do wide shots. He because he wanted it in the show the way it should be. Mm. Yeah, and I was really impressed with that. Yeah, it, we talked a little. Uh, Chip that day and said, uh, we had to rearrange our whole schedule to accommodate you, but we really wanted you. Awesome. And uh, he said, what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing a Michael J. Fox film. It was That was Doc Hollywood. Hmm. And they- Doc Hollywood, sure. They rearranged the schedule so I could go to Gainesville on uh, that Monday or something. And uh, he, Chip looked at me and said, enjoy it while it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that is very wise advice. It was also interesting that the stars aren't there, actually. It's just the green screen, which was oh, amazing wow. to me. I, oh. I had never really paid attention to it before, but sure. that makes sense. If you look at it, it's all superimposed. Oh, when he said stars, I was like, wait, Jonathan Frakes is not there? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, oh, I knew he was green screened. Oh. <laughs> well, we also missed the part. The the first scene in the conference room, uh -huh. there there are three different versions of the Enterprise in sculpting on the wall, which I loved. And we're sitting there very grimly looking at Picard. And before every take, Franks, who has a musical comedy background, right. he would sing this little ditty he had made up about, have you heard any of this? No. About, <laughs> um, call me Walnut, call me... Almond, but I'm Captain Pecan, the nuttiest nut in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
they'd call action and we're supposed to be, you know, it was, it wasn't a friendly thing to do to us, you know, but. That's amazing. But I didn't even think about this until now, but Cole Meany is there drinking an ale when he's supposed to be, uh, uh, you know, with uh, his wife, right? Like what happened? Did she not like the potato casserole? <laughs> he's got a lot of racism to drink through. He does. <laughs> And then there's a nice little silence. It's not companionable. You can feel any residual personal aggression flee them. Um, did you did you feel like you were both given kind of freedom to just let it do its thing and feel each other out? Absolutely. Yeah. No. We. It was like doing an acting scene. We just got to sit there and oh man, <laughs> I just got to watch Calm do his thing. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he was feeling a little underused on the show and sure. he, uh, but on this episode, he actually got to do some stuff. It was kind of his show in a way. And then, yeah. yeah, it really is his arc here. And really it continues with the, you know, the, the use of him on Deep Space Nine. And I love that detail now that you weren't able to, to move and now it makes sense. But at the time I thought you were just being very, you know, martial and uh, uh, economical in your, in your movements. We were so tight, we squeaked. (laughs) Uh, What I loved about this scene is uh, something we've talked about with Star Trek races in general, or at least one of the things I've harped on is the uh, hegemony of the racial profile. So when they first introduce a group of characters, all the Klingons are mean and surly and all about war. And the the Romulans are all boastful and, and sour. And uh, that wasn't the case with this introduction to the Cardassians. We had, they painted them as a warlike race. Our goal doesn't come across that way necessarily, maybe conniving, but your character time was, I, from the very beginning, I felt was different. There was uh, um, an openness to it, which I loved because it made it seem like, yeah, there's more to every race than what, Star Trek paints as each race has a thing. And this this painted layers right away instead of typically in Star Trek we get the race and then, you know, seven episodes later they bring back that race with one character who's bucking the trend uh in some way. Like a Romulan who's like, I want peace now or, you know, the Klingon who's in Federation is like they went with it right away. It's like they're not all the same. Well that's yeah, that is what surprised me. You know, I kind of thought that there was room in this society of villains that for everybody to exist and they they immediately became much more dark and uh, you know threatening all the time and so right but i understand it you have to have conflict right 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 but i mean in deep space not or on voyager we have you know a running (laughs) character who who's a cardassian who was not uh while you guys talk we learn that uh the set like three uh, is not certainly considered by all of the Cardassians to be a, a, a heroic situation. It, at least Darrow thinks it was a huge mistake. Yeah, and that is interesting because it's basically the same thing that that uh, Captain Maxwell is doing, right? Where he's like, "Oh, these are not, you know, this is not innocent. I'm going to kill innocents because of of the suppositions right. that he was making." So, yeah, it's it's a nice parallel. And he says, uh, "I'm still fucked up about it." It's not you I hate, Cardassian. It's what I became because of you. And all I can think in that moment is, 
you've learned this words this name like a hundred times like you're racist in calling him Cardassian in the middle of that but okay well, I didn't I didn't think of it that way that's a great way to look at it though well I would just go I mean you I think you are technically correct right like if he's if he's lumping everybody in Cardassian but I think he was doing it purposely in this case where like hey you may be fine you know you're a perfectly good individual i'm trying to you know show you but like it's not you it's the fact that i don't like myself because of the conflict that i was in that you you know that the the cardassians did right like it's i I get that he's lumping it all into a a people but like no i but we're, we're talking about intent versus effect right i i think that the effect of it if he were speaking to me and i was a cardassian the effect would would feel uh, dehumanized. Yeah, I guess the interpretation I'm thinking is he's saying not uh, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. I'm the fucked up one. So, Maybe admitting his racism and and then no, trying to build off of it by by <laughs> using uh, okay, the yeah point in taken. The of the <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's it's a fascinating thing, uh, and I I don't. I'd like to think that the the writers even understood that depth of what they were doing. Like it's it's a common, I think, construction that someone might use who is trying to deal with themselves. I just mm. I found it ironic and interesting. So meanwhile, the other Glenn, Glenn Terry, is brought in in captivity, having access to a restricted computer terminal. He defends himself, but Glenn Massett doesn't buy it. He'll be punished back on the ship and in the meantime you are confined to quarters there's this moment where he says he's about to sort of say but you told me to do it right essentially where <laughs> like it's just it's just again it's a really nice things that are not said but mm. but just with the look where he's like but i mm, okay you're gonna push me <laughs> under the bus for this one great i understand it's just a it's a, a delicious little moment I missed it. I'll that's, have to go back and look at too. it. Me too. Yeah, that's great interpretation, Kate, but you're totally it. right. I do too. Uh, um, it's just my own brain mind said that. <laughs> no, I think it's fucking fantastic. Uh, we yeah, go to no, Picard's I ready room. With you. I just didn't catch it. When I get a house, if I ever have a room to my own, it's not a man cave or a den. It's going to be called my ready room. And I'm very excited about it. Okay. <laughs> Now you know why I'm doing Sergeant Krupke hundreds of times all over the world. I want a ready room. Yes. Gold Massett apologizes again for Terry's shit and says he's not one who wants, uh, and says that he himself, the Gull, is not one of his people who wants war over all things. And he thinks, significant pause, that he believes that Picard is one like that as well. And as they discuss this over that beautiful picture of the Enterprise going very quickly, um, he says that this lasting peace between the two can start with the two of them. Ooh, mm. chills, chills. I like it. It's it's interesting in our introduction to the Cardassians, we hear about them being big baddies and definitely they present as very... Uh, stoic and and you know um, regimented but by and large uh, at least two of them are making really salient points 
and yeah. saying things like, you know, that that beautiful uh, thing in 10 Forward that we just talked about that scene. Um, this is sort of the mirror to that where we have someone saying, I, I'm with you. I feel you. You know, whether or not we can trust them is unclear at this point. But it's interesting that they don't come in what we expecting the big baddie to be. There is logic to what they say even even the give me your codes to get we we have to get to that ship it makes sense right now can that be used for for evil absolutely but i I, it's just an interesting way to plot out our introduction to the cardassians yeah introduced right away less as the warlike race that we've been hearing about and more like a bunch of cons like the the antagonist rather than the villain do you Mm, know interesting this um this introduction, this even-handed introduction, is probably a good reason as to why they were used more going forward, right? Like, because if they were one-sided or if they were presented as just uh, uh, one-dimensional, they'd be like many other of the Star Trek uh, races that we've seen introduced and then be a one-off or, you know, right. an entry in the Nemesis files. But now, because they were so interesting and 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 fully fleshed-out characters based on really just your performance time. So it really is all down to you. Um, but like, I think that's why, honestly, I mean, I think it is because you were so even handed in that performance that it was like, Oh, there's more to these characters that we can investigate and can, can get more storytelling out of them. And I bet you got the residuals to prove it. Damn it. <laughs> residuals, residuals. What does that God, mean? The mythical, the mythical residual. Though I was happy to see that uh, a little while later, I can't remember what series it was even on, David Warner, who is a great, yeah. was a great actor. He yeah. was a Cardassian. So life is good. <laughs> life is good. I'm in good company. Beep, beep, beep. We will reach the Phoenix in 22 minutes. So we have to stop this back channel diplomacy going. We go to commercial. We come back and we learn that Maxwell has agreed to beam aboard. He does so. And it's former hoofer Bob Gunton. He goes right to O'Brien. What the fuck are you doing here? Miles pays him a nice compliment. And Maxwell says he got that silver tongue kissing the stone. He does the accent. (laughs) I'm sure Colmini (laughs) loved it. (laughs) And then he says, all right, enough of my yapping. Let me get to Picard. We've got a lot to discuss. And now he's serious. That's how you know he's a psychopath. Because he went right from the Blarney Stone shit right into this. I got some racism (laughs) to talk about. Right after being kind of weirdly... Ethnic slurry to uh, Miles O'Brien. Anyway. And he is very at ease for someone who just murdered hundreds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's yeah. just, it's its chilling. He's, he's, yeah, he, he doesn't think he's in trouble at all. Yeah. He's got flags the color of his uniform just all over him. He thinks Picard's on his side. Uh, Maxwell shows Picard his idea that the station was a base for excursions into three Federation sectors and the supply ships were fast and furious supplying it. He wouldn't wait the months for all capital bureaucrats to get something started. My goodness, he hates bureaucrats. History will remember you for a fool, Maxwell says. And Picard's like, that's just like your opinion, man. (laughs) and uh, he's just kind of angry but okay Worf reminds Captain that O'Brien was the tactical officer for Maxwell and it's time to get him up here on the bridge so he was tactical tactical officer yeah what a demotion right 
He went. He did yeah, some shit did... during the war that got him some fucking buck privated. Or it's exactly. it's the fact that he's on the Enterprise now, so he had to be like, okay, yeah, you were down a few pegs because you were you were I'll okay take on anything, Rutledge, He said, <laughs> "We're gonna take yeah. your commission away from you." But this is also where I noticed, uh, and maybe he, maybe O'Brien didn't have these before, and I just had noticed. But he does have two dots, and he's a lieutenant. He dots back now in this yeah, in this, this episode is one of the errata we talked about i think early on when he first came on is they had a, a mess up with that where they call him chief but he was actually seen as being an officer yeah motherfuckers <laughs> should be noted that maxwell does not attack this time waits for picard to arrive a high intensity subspace field prevents any meaningful scans of this scare quote supply ship Maxwell demands Picard board the Cardassian ship and prove what he's been saying. Picard says, nope, I'll take all necessary action to prevent you from doing further violence. And he shuts off communication just like that. Fuck off, stew on that. O'Brien tells mm. Picard that Maxwell will strike if his back's against the wall, which is then what kind of happens. He starts going after it and Picard readies and tells O'Brien and Brian, uh, I'm sorry, O'Brien stops him and says, I think I can talk sense into him. And he goes, he's not answering the phone, O'Brien. And O'Brien <laughs> goes, no, for one fiftieth of a second, every five minutes and five seconds. I'm like, that's a lot of fives, O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> there's a hole in the shield and I can beam through chat with my old captain. He's like, make it so. I'm like, why don't you beam the old fucking captain here? <laughs> right? Why don't you do that? Right. Not no. be so willy-nilly about sharing some potentially devastating information with the Cardassian. Yeah, it's and all you have it's the all mums the up. word. Yeah, the five minute five <laughs> thing, right? Like they're just giving uh giving it That's all away. Really big deal. All really messed. Uh we skip to the next thing. Maxwell is confined to Enterprise quarters and his first mate is commanding the Phoenix back to Federation space. Uh, O'Brien tells Picard and Golmesset that he's still proud to have served with Maxwell, and everybody involved goes, what? Uh, <laughs> then O'Brien leaves. Messet says, or Messet says that the, the loyalty is honorable but misplaced, and Picard is like, fuck no, don't you think that way? And I honestly don't understand Picard's point here, if someone would care to explain it to me. Like, it, it feels like people saying that it's okay to still think that general lee was this great patriot right like, right it's horseshit <laughs> well that's the pin that it. i wanted to put in yeah. at the beginning because i wonder if they would have written this differently today because you know in 1991 there still was a pervading sense of patriotism where whatever we do is right if we're engaged right. in conflict it must be because the other side did something that was wrong and, you know, yay for us. And this had that, it rang that way for me when Picard was saying those things of, of we found out that maybe you were guilty. So what he did was wrong because he didn't get the proof first. Right. If you would have followed procedure right. and got the proof, then, then it would have been okay what he did. And I'm sort of on that other side of if it's peace you're after, then you don't look for justifications for blowing up uh, anything. <laughs> um and this seemed like justification for that. Right. And it, it leads us to the last scene uh, where he's leaving and Picard says he knows Maxwell was right. He didn't board the ship because he would have led to the war that he didn't want them to have. You know, Picard says to tell Massett superiors, we will be watching. And I'm like, you've undone a lot of the work that you were doing 
in the whole rest of the episode, it feels like to me right there. Um, yeah, like why why end it with a threat yeah. like that, Picard? If he was supposed to, if he was doing his mission of like trying to preserve the peace at all costs, like the Admiral told him, you know, I get why dramatically in writing the episode is good on this kind of button, but I, I, it feels like okay, we were at peace, and then now now we're all going to be prepared again, and like you know, well, be ready to shoot at a moment's was- notice. Like he was talking to you in your own ready room earlier with saying, you know, you and I can be a force for peace in this world. Like, and then you turn around and you're like, tell him we're watching. I know you're a lion sack of shit. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that is diplomacy. Um, I'm confused by it. Yeah, he legit but, uh, turns his back all the way, you know, from him, which just does feels very... Yeah. Um, like this discussion is over for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not with Picard at this particular point, and that's the episode. Uh, it's it's uh, just as long as all the other episodes, but it crams a ton of shit in there. One note: I've yeah. uh, just recently, uh, in the last year or so, uh, joined Bob Gunton on Facebook. It's something oh, in the so future cool. you guys will learn about, and. He served in Vietnam. Mm. Oh, wow. And he he posts pictures from that period. And man, that, I totally understand what he was doing in this. You know, if you're sweating in Saigon, you want peace, you know, you want some change. I, I just found that really touching that it's like, oh, he was coming from a very sincere place as an actor in this. He had done all sure. of his homework ahead of time. Mm. You can go a little crazy, I expect. The the more experiences you have as a person, the the more interesting you can make your characters, you know. Isn't that true? Uh, let, let's let's talk about our feelings about the episode and uh, and how we're feeling. Before we get there, time. Do you want to talk about what you've got coming up or what people can check out? Doing a lot of games lately. Uh, sure. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my hair loss. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> let's talk about the the episode one by one here. Kate, uh, what what did you think? Uh, I'm gonna give this episode. I'm gonna give it eight uh, potato casseroles. and and it's mostly because it's so exciting to be introduced to a new uh alien race it's exciting to do world building um as i said this episode and it makes sense that this episode would not have been in my my brain space i think because of all of the the war you know that was happening and you know what a tumultuous time um so it was really wonderful to be able to sit back and watch this sort of fresh and not know which direction we were going and uh i would say it even if you weren't here time your performance is just so lovely in this that it really makes it makes the episode for me um because it truly is that that scene in 10 forward that's why i watch star trek is for those moments um of community and connection and 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 trying to uh reach across great divides um so i'm i'm a fan of this episode and uh i think it uh is a wonderful watch all these years later well hell yeah eight it is jimmy g what do you think i agree i'm gonna give it eight cardassian headgears (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of sexual we don't talk about that (laughs) 
I love the way the Cardassians are introduced. I love the way time uh, brought uh, an openness and softness to the character. So there wasn't the sameness, um, especially the same kind of gruff masculinity that often is attributed to the baddies uh, in Star Trek races. So that was just really lovely to get in there. Difference of flavor in the character. All right, eight it is. Uh, what do we make it here, Greg? Is it keeping the ball rolling? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with nine Blarney stones and or mosquitoes. O'Brien didn't kill. Um, I love this episode. I think it it it, it brings forth this new culture as well as what sci-fi does so well, especially sci-fi that is you know, being shown during turbulent political times, it's a mirror of what America was like uh, uh, back then and what it, you know, it is now. And I think it is, allows us to, to kind of think about, you know, our place and, and, and what the world is and all the things that are going on. Some of the, 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 the producers and writers of this were saying how, you know, it was not intended that the backdrop of the Persian Gulf War would be uh, happening right when this episode aired, but how interesting it was to have those, dichotomies uh uh happening and many of the feelings around uh muslims and and russians and all the things that we have had as these uh um you know political adversaries um for for so long from this culture and re reimagining them we, we mentioned the vietnam war a couple of times it also felt like very much in those lines it does everything great that i love about sci-fi the performances bring it to life and it just certainly was a bellwether for Star Trek canon going forward, right? And 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 I think it does have to do with uh, not just your performance time, but uh, all the actors who portray these Cardassians that brought it to life um, from the text itself. And I just I just love the fact that we've got so much insight from you uh, from from learning just from the few lines that are in there and how to infuse that with so much storytelling. You know, we got we got to see it all happen from 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 hearing it from your perspectives, which is really cool. I was working on a really low budget film and uh, one of the grips walked past me and said, have I seen you somewhere before? And I had just gotten out here and I said, oh, I, I did some Broadway. And he said, no, do you do science fiction stuff? And I said, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I was on uh, Babylon 5 and uh, oh, Next Generation. And he said, you were in 10 forward with O'Brien, right? Oh, amazing. <laughs> it's wow. Like, it's, yeah, it is. You know, it's like, how many times have you seen this episode, man? Oh. But it's, it is kind of wonderful. Broadway doesn't matter, but NG, <laughs> it's important. Canon. I know it's awkward to ask you to rate your own episode, but if you'd care to, we'd love to hear it. I thought it was sensational. Yeah. I finally worked <laughs> on Star Trek. Come on, man. <laughs> it was the best. Well, perfect. And I give it 10 time winters. I absolutely love this episode. Uh, I loved it before I knew time. I didn't remember that this was time until a couple years into our friendship, which made me happy. Just super duper duper happy to have you with us today. Um, Thank you, Eric. You know, it, any chance to chat with you is a pleasure. And uh, the same goes for my fellow Cultural Bridge officers. So nice to meet you all. Yes. Great. Yeah. And, and just my pants are wet. Uh, time, that's just something we say at the end of the episodes. It's not, in fact, true. Is it, though? Who are you people? 
Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to re-engage.